<laughs> I wish good. I could say it's a secret, but I mean, that's it. That's how your body works. So if you want her to want to have more sex, then equate more sex with more orgasms, with more bonding, with more desire, with more connection, with more safe space. And there that's you it. go. That's it. Welcome to Hone In with me, Saad Alam. This is a podcast that goes deep into topics that help you live longer and smarter. Each week, we'll deliver science-backed advice from the world's leading experts in nutrition, health, technology, fitness, relationships, and mindset. We cut through the BS to get you real answers and solutions. So let's hone in. So I am so excited to have Dr. Laura Purdy here with us today. I feel like I've known you for three or four years, but this is the first time we're actually meeting. And I'm stoked to have you here. You're going to be talking about some what men may feel is very uncomfortable conversation, but you seem really comfortable having it. I mean, we're going to talk about penises, right? And basically every man has one. I mean, generally every man has a penis, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And I don't think there's any reason why we shouldn't be we shouldn't be afraid or shy or nervous to talk about the thing which you all have. I'll tell you, it's it's almost a little bit disalarming because you're so comfortable with it, which is wonderful. Because uh, <laughs> I feel like we have been taught as men, as a society, to really kind of have those conversations by ourselves. But let me take a step back. Tell us about yourself. Sure, let me do that. Well, so my name is Dr. Laura Purdy. I'm licensed in all 50 states, and I have been practicing telemedicine for the better part of the last decade. Before that, I was in the Army for 15, 14, 14 years. Whoa. And there's a lot of men's health. The overwhelming majority of the patients that I took care of, because I was in a special operations unit for a little while, and I worked in the Warrior Transition Battalion, which is when soldiers were out processing because they were ill. I worked with so many male patients in the Army. And these are conversations that I feel like, as doctors, we have to be comfortable having them. Because first of all, it's my job. Mm -hmm. It is my job to show up for my patients, man, woman, or whomever they are, to be available to talk to them about whatever they want to talk about. And if there's one thing that I've learned is that people want to talk about their genitals, whether it's penis, vagina, or something in between, people need and want to talk about it, which means they need and want me as their doctor to show up in a compassionate, non-judgmental, not weird, not strange, not grossed out way to answer those questions for them. I am sure that you have, I would probably say helped dozens, hundreds, thousands of men yes. in their families' lives? Because right here's the reality. Who the hell do we talk to about it? I mean, you kind of joke around with it about yeah. your friends, but you never talk about the problems. No. You can't talk to your partner. You don't talk to your parents. And when you go to the doc, it's really, hey, I came in for something else in the last second. Let me, oh, let me just throw this thing in real quickly. Yes, I, I have had patients, and it breaks my heart. I have had patients who for decades would hide from their mm. partner and give themselves like penile injections or they're hiding their Viagra, they're hiding their struggle. And it actually makes the problem worse because it isolates them. It makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. There's fear of what if I get caught? What if my partner finds out? Will they still love me? Will they still accept me? And I feel like we have an obligation to have these conversations with our patients. And what I tell people is if you can't talk to your doctor about anything that's wrong with your body, much less your penis, then you need to find another doctor. Uh, so I'll tell you right, yeah. completely transparently, yeah. I've been through this, right? Yeah. When I was 35, I was having a lot of trouble. When I say trouble, I mean like failure to launch, like completely <sighs> infunctional. And yeah. I will never forget talking to my now fiance and she was like, hey, Sad, you're cheating on me. And I was like, ah. I was like, I was like, I love you. I'm not cheating on you. Yeah. It's not you. It's me. And it just becomes so cliche. Yeah. And my doctor had no love for me. He had no empathy for me. None at all. And then it, and then it becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you don't have psychogenic ED, you will mm -hmm. when you start having those conversations because now you're like, is it going to work? Is she going to be mad? Why doesn't, I, I feel like something's wrong with me. And then it becomes a cycle. Did you experience that? I kind of call it like a self-defeating negative feedback cycle. You yes. think about it and then you think about it when you're in the moment, you try not to think about it. You breathe beforehand, you meditate and all of a sudden you're there and you're like, oh my God, I'm there again. What's the most common question you get asked by guys? 
Oh, it's always the size question. Like, how do you, how do I make my penis bigger? Can I make it bigger? Will you make it bigger? Does this make it bigger? How does it get bigger? That's all they want to know. But you know, we were talking about this is that it's almost never, I just want it bigger because I want it bigger. It's almost always, I want it bigger because I want to please my partner. That's because a lot they want to be better in bed or they have a perception mm -hmm. that bigger is better, which I don't necessarily agree. And I think my girlfriends, if they're listening to this, they'll say bigger is not always better because technique is important too. Um, but that's the question they ask is how do I get more girth or inches? Can it get bigger? So it depends. It depends, right? Because there are a lot of ways these days to work on your penis. You have vacuum assisted devices, which mm -hmm. what that does is it pulls more blood into it. So might it look longer? Maybe you can do injections. You can take erectile dis like you can take PDE5 inhibitors, right? Yep. Um, which is the the um, the Viagra, the Cialis, the Levitra, all of those that you can have a pump implanted, right? Where you pump it up like little, yep. you know, shoe in the nineties, inflate and deflate. Um, but I've had patients who tell me that they're life-changing, especially yeah. post-cancer patients. So all that to say, does it grow the organic size of your penis? No. I mean, because if you think about it, making it bigger would involve creating new tissue, creating new structure. Mm -hmm. And that's that's not really what it does. Um, but it does make the most of what you have. You want to maximize your space, right? Why not? You want to be efficient with what you have, right? And you want to optimize what's there. But we can't really grow it. All right. So now I do have another question, right? Okay. To get more, a little bit more serious. A lot of guys, they believe that their erections get softer as they age. And I guess the big question for a lot of us, right? Because we're all kind of the same-ish age, 40, 45, 50 years old. 38. God bless you. <laughs> What can you do to improve it? Or can you? Well, this is what I will say. The, the data will show you that as you age, testosterone decreases. We know that. Um, not for everyone, right? And let me, let me preface this with the caveat of what I am about to say today and anything that you hear come out of my mouth is not designed to say this is the case for everyone everywhere, all penises all the time, period. Mm -hmm. This is the overwhelming majority or what the evidence shows or what I have seen in practice with men who I've worked with. So you may hear something that we say and you say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm 85 years old and I'm, you know, I'm rock hard like a 22 year old and congratulations, but that's not the case for all people that age, right? So disclaimers aside, Generally speaking, as you age, your testosterone will start to decrease. And that may mean for a lot of people and also what we would call comorbidities mm -hmm. does increase. So the likelihood that you might have diabetes or heart disease or high blood pressure or be taking an antidepressant or a pain medication and all of those things I just mentioned can impact your ability to have the raging erection that we know you all want as you should and deserve to have the erection of your dreams. But as you age, all of those things decrease the likelihood that you will have that erection of your dreams, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that with age, you will get smaller or softer, but it is a very common experience. I'll tell you, it is really disheartening for a lot of guys, right? Type one diabetes, obesity, it is rampant right now. And I've had family members that go through it, right? And the most difficult thing is, a lot of the reasons why you can't even get hard anymore are because of the lifestyle behaviors that you have. And they're so deeply ingrained in what we do every single day. And so I guess the question to you is, if you have a guy that's, let's call it 45 years old, maybe BMI of 31, little bit depressed, uh, energy problems, and he's saying to you, hey, Dr. Purdy, I just can't perform for my wife or my partner, what do you tell that person? Well, this is one of those conversations where there is a little bit of tough love. I have absolutely had the middle-aged man with a high BMI who's a big smoker. We didn't even say that yet. Tobacco and alcohol, right? Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Or even illicit drugs. There are sedatives and tranquilizers and all kinds of things that we do to ourselves that may not give you the erection of your dreams. And they... The extent to which they're willing to participate in resolving those modifiable factors 
really can predict how well they do. If they say, I'm not going to quit smoking, I'm not going to quit drinking, I don't want to go to the gym, which a lot of times we do hear that, then what I have to say is, well, there are some medications we can try, but I can't guarantee you the erection of your dreams if you're not going to be willing to do the work on your end as well. Do we, you? Is it crazy to say that, let's say, right, someone comes in, they are a smoker as well too, they say, hey, Dr. Purdy, I'm gonna stop smoking, I'm all of a sudden gonna start running, I'm gonna eat a little bit better. Is it generally kind of a thing that all of a sudden your erection should start to improve? It's not gonna be all of a sudden because it didn't get that way overnight. Mm. So you don't develop ED generally, you don't develop ED in a in a short period of time or in a, you know, a couple of instances, right? Usually it's over time, progressively, you will start to notice changes. And I don't expect, and you shouldn't expect that it's also going to reverse overnight. But I mean, that's why. So the second most frequent question I hear is, do I have to take this medication forever? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, it depends. There are some people who maybe they take 25, 50, you know, 60, however you dose it, milligrams of generic Viagra or branded Viagra while they're quitting smoking, while they're cutting back on drinking, while they're getting their blood sugar under control and their blood pressure under control. And then maybe they can wean off of it. But there are some people who do need to take it forever. And we won't really know until we go through that process together yep. of doing it and like you being an active, willing participant in your own wellness to live your best life and have your best direction. Um, so yeah. I will also say this too. The thing I've noticed with myself, and I know this is a little bit of TMI here too, but that's the reality of like, hey, that's what just we're here to do is table. just give it all there. Yeah. What I also noticed that there was so much of the the mental hang up in my head that when I'm getting ready, I need to make sure I can be ready. And the reality is after I got a couple of them in me, you know, a couple practice practice runs, yes, yes. it was like I had the training wheels successful on. Successful erections. Successful yes. erections. Like few successful erections. Of your dreams. Of my dreams. Oh, I made them reality. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing is I noticed actually every now and then I'd forget the pill. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm perfectly fine. Yes. And what you realize is so much of this, this kind of like mental anguish that you have may not necessarily be real and you needed it just to kind of get you out of the gate in, at the beginning. And it makes sense if you think about it because there's two parts of the nervous system that regulate the erection and ejaculation cycle. And I remember when I was in school, they teach you point and shoot. Mm -hmm. Have you heard this acronym? No. You don't know this acronym? No, no, well, it's not really an acronym, but it's like a memory device. So the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of your nervous system that's the opposite of fight or flight. So rest and digest, right? You're relaxed, you're chill, maybe you're making out a little bit or you're at a movie and you're kind of holding hands mm -hmm. and you're getting a little excited and like things start to happen without you even need to think about it. Or think about when you wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and you have morning erections, you're sleeping, yep. right? But it's that part of your nervous system, which is parasympathetic, starts with a P and we would say point and shoot is the act is the little memory device, right? So the parasympathetic nervous system handles the erection and the sympathetic nervous system handles the ejaculation. And you need both. And sympathetic nervous system is like that fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So the adrenaline and, you know, your heart's beating, your blood pressure's up. You have that feeling of like, okay, this is happening. Like this is going to happen as you near climax. You start to have that sympathetic response and you know it's going to happen. And if, for example, if you get cut off and people say like, you know, blue balls or something like that is what they call it, but you have a sudden stop, you mm -hmm. feel it. It's uncomfortable. It can be painful. And you notice that that has happened. That's because your nervous system is interrupted, right? So to take it all the way back, point and shoot. If you're stressed. Okay. If you're amped up, if you're taking stimulants, um, or certain types of drugs as well, then it can interfere with your body's ability to let the parasympathetic nervous system do its job. It's if you're so, relaxed, it works better. It's so interesting because you're you're relaxed and you're excited at the same time, which yeah. makes perfect sense because when you're really in it, when you're in that moment, yeah. things are feeling good. And then all of a sudden you just let kind of your, that carnal nature just take yeah. over. But when you are hopped up on caffeine and you were just pushing, maybe doesn't yeah. happen the way or you stress, want Or stress, you've had a bad day, maybe yes, you got bad completely. news, there's something 
You know, like if, I don't know if you've ever like had a car accident and then you're, you know, you're amped up and a few hours later you're jittery and that adrenal, you know, mm -hmm. it's just up here. That's what you're doing to yourself mm -hmm. when you're stressed about your ED and you're putting pressure on yourself to perform. You're actually making it harder for your, uh, well, you're making it the opposite <laughs> of harder. You're making it more difficult for yourself yep. because you're not giving your body the opportunity to do what it's supposed to do. So big takeaway, Yeah. take a deep breath beforehand. Just let it happen. Yeah. Now, what if you can't do that, right? What are the medications guys are, are using? And here's the reality. We know Viagra, we know Cialis, but can you kind of give us the hierarchy of the med medications and when you decide to pull each one out? Yeah. Well, and also testosterone too, which is really important to discuss because what I tell people, so if you think about Viagra and Cialis, what they do, do we, let's talk about how you get an erection, right? There's blood flow into the penis mm -hmm. through the blood vessels on the penis. And then the blood doesn't leave, right? So the blood goes in, the blood stays there, usually until after ejaculation and the blood goes back. Can to I ask where, you a question? Yes. How does it know to stay there? That's a good question, and I don't exactly 100% know, but it knows. I was going to say, like, it just, it knows. it's like perfectly timed. It's just like, you're there, and then all Penises of a sudden, are, it's like, are brilliant. Doo, 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 doo. They're very good at their job, generally. <laughs> I know, I said it. I said it. Penises are very intellectual <laughs> organs, and they know what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it, right? They know if they're supposed to urinate. They know if they're supposed to ejaculate. They know if they're supposed to be erect. Um, they know when they need to like pull their testicles up to the body or drop them lower. They're they're intellectual organs. I'm I'm gonna say this. What you have just done for men across <laughs> this country, I'm going to go home and tell my. Like, I'm gonna see buddy, that on social media. You are right? you are brilliant. Penises buddy. are brilliant. Yeah, you are brilliant. No, your penis is brilliant. I, listen, there's was, a difference. <laughs> there's, there's a difference. Anyways, so. The PDE5 inhibitors, which mm -hmm. is the Viagra, the Cialis, the Levitra, they work on the function of the penis itself. Yep. If So for example, if you have diabetes or high cholesterol and you have plaque in the blood vessels and blood can't get in and out properly, they dilate the blood vessels and relax the blood vessels to allow the blood to go where it needs to go. But what I tell people is testosterone is like having a fully functioning car with no gas in the tank. Mm -hmm which means the blood vessels work fine. You don't have high blood pressure. You don't have high cholesterol. You don't have diabetes. You have no um, hardening of the blood vessels, which is different than hardening of the penis, right? Because yep. if you have hardening of the blood vessels, you don't get hardening of the penis. So hold on, I just wanna make sure we understand that. So yeah. if you have hardening of the blood vessels, it means that the blood vessels are not willing to expand to Correct. let the blood go into it. To let the flow. So it's almost like putting your finger over a garden hose mm -hmm. and it, and it kind of cuts off the flow and you don't get as much blood flow, right? So testosterone is really important because it's like having a car that's 100% functional but has no gas in the tank. Mm -hmm. And you can throw Viagra, Cialis, Levitra. You can give people all of those, combo pills, compounded pills. You can do it all. But if you don't have enough testosterone or you have low to no testosterone, you will have a much lower success rate because you do need to have gas in the car. It's funny, our guys, they say the first thing they'll tell us after like three weeks being on medication, they'll say, first, I'm sleeping better. And I woke up with morning wood for the first time in like five years. Yes. And it is such a huge source of joy yeah. for men across the country. T tell me a little bit more about why do you need testosterone to actually have an erection? Yeah, so testosterone is the primary, what we would call androgenic hormone. Mm -hmm. It's the, it is the male hormone. Do women have it too? Yes, of course they do, right? But men have it in a much higher proportion. Mm -hmm. And testosterone is really required for a lot of the, what we typically consider more of the masculine functions, right? So energy, muscle building, yep. like, you know, bulking, libido, um, erections, the ability to engage in sexual activity as a male. You mentioned depression, right? So mood, energy, we hear a lot about fatigue, poor sleep, um, even some of their labs, like some of their blood work can be off, right? And as a person with a penis who has male hormones, you need to have it for all of that to function properly. Is it crazy to say that testosterone is arguably one of the most important hormones for a man because it helps us. It almost sounds like, right, it probably helps with a parasympathetic nervous system or sympathetic nervous system. It gives us energy. It helps with erections. Can you think of a more important one? 
I mean, I, I'm hesitant to place judgment on the importance of hormones because they all have a function, right? They, they all have a function. We need our adrenal glands to work properly. We need our thyroid glands to work properly. And actually, that, that brings up a good point, mm -hmm. which is one of the things that we have to check when we're looking for testosterone is we have to make sure that nothing else is dysfunctioning. So we will often check a TSH, which is a thyroid hormone. Sometimes we even check the brain. We check the LH. We check the FSH. We check the prolactin because we need to make sure that the other hormones aren't in the way first. So I I'm hesitant to say, I think it's the most important. You all definitely, every man probably believes that testosterone is the most important, but it also relies on all the other hormones to be doing what they're supposed to do in order for it to be normal. It's interesting. You're mentioning FSH, prolactin, LH. You're kind of focusing on the HPA axis mm -hmm. right now, right? Like almost your hypothalamic, pituitary axis seems yeah. like it actually kind of, mm -hmm. yep, okay, explain mm -hmm. that to me. Hypothalamic, pituitary, and then adrenal axis, right? And that's that's how your body knows how much to make. Hmm. Because your brain tells your body how much of certain hormones to make. And if that process functions the right way, in theory, you should have enough hormones. If it doesn't, then you don't. But yep. that's why we do a lot of um, brain MRIs on people. If we find hormonal abnormalities, you have to rule out a brain tumor. Yep. And that's a really important step for some people in the workup of low testosterone. It's interesting. One of the things that we find elevator are prolactin levels. Mm -hmm. But prolactin levels can be elevated if you went horseback riding the yes. day before. Lots of nipple stimulation is yeah. one we tell guys to always make sure you don't do 24 yeah. hours before you give us your blood. I'm sorry, it completely went away. Medications. Yes. Viagra, Cialis. Levitra. Levitra. So they all work a little differently. So mm -hmm. sildenafil, which is Viagra, tends to have a shorter half-life, and that's the one that you can take it. Uh, we usually say no more than 100 milligrams, usually 30 to 45 minutes before sex. Some people a little longer, some people a little shorter, um, but no more than once in a 24-hour period. Cialis, which is Tadalafil, has a longer half-life. And that's generally the one that if you want to take it every day, you take it at the lower dose, the five milligram, usually. Yep. If you're going to take it at the higher dose, you do 20 milligram. And then we have Levitra, which is usually more expensive and somewhere in the middle. Most men will try to find a way to take as much medication as they can. <laughs> but what I tell them is there's a reason why there's a limit. There's a reason why there's a maximum dosage. And if you're going home and taking 140 milligrams of sildenafil, which I've, hear, I've heard that a lot, that's unsafe. There's a reason why there's a limit. And if it's not working for you, then we need to start to explore other options or figure out why. What happens if you take 140 milligrams? For the guys that do it, they say it gives them a, the erection of their dreams. But you have to be careful about drug interactions. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful about dropping your blood pressure too low. That's really the biggest risk because these dilate blood vessels and they can really drop your blood pressure and it can be dangerous. You could pass out, you could get dizzy. It could cause um, you know, heart attacks in people who have known coronary artery disease. It can cause chest pain. And it, it, it's really important to be responsible consumers of these medications so that you don't get hurt. How often do guys who take 140 milligrams have a priapism? Is that how you say priapism, it? Priapism, an erection lasting greater than four hours. Mm -hmm. I don't know because usually what happens when I find somebody who's doing it like that is I let them know immediately this is not safe. Mm -hmm. You've got to stop. And we either get them on a lower dose or find them somewhere else to go if they're not willing to change because I can't in good conscience prescribe when I know that someone is taking it unsafely. I don't, I have never known a guy to get a priapism from just simply taking a higher dose, but it can be dangerous. I mean, you can kind of like have a heart attack in your penis. That's why we care a, a penis attack, if you will, if you have an erection lasting greater than four hours. I now, does good. that mean that if you're actively having sex for four hours and you, you know, haven't had an ejaculation and you're maintaining your erection, is that necessarily dangerous? No, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. But if you are having a non-responsive erection that is spontaneously erect for four hours and if it starts to become discolored or if it starts to hurt you, go to the ER for the love of all humanity, right? Run. Because <laughs> it can be an emergency. It can be a penis-threatening condition. Does that mean you could lose your penis? 
I've never seen anybody lose it necessarily, but you can have a decline in the functioning. You can have it not work as well. Yeah. That, it can damage it. And it's really damaged to the blood vessels. Is that probably the yeah, right way to, to say tissue, it? to the tissue, to the erectile tissue and the blood vessels, yeah. And let me go back to another thing. You said you can take Tadalafil 5 milligrams or 20 milligrams per day. What's the difference? Well, so five milligrams is the is the daily dose. Mm -hmm. So some people, because, I mean, you heard what I said, right? You take it 30 to 45 minutes prior to intercourse. Sometimes that can be a barrier if you want to be a little more spontaneous. Or I've had patients who will say, well, I'm going on a week-long vacation. I don't want to have to take this every day. Mm -hmm. So with the Tadalafil, the half-life is longer. I think it's, what, 120 hours or something like that. So you're taking it every single day, which means that you could have sex anytime you want without having to take it an hour beforehand. But you can also take Tadalafil in 10, 15, or 20 milligrams an hour before. Yep. So you can do either one. I don't recommend doing both. And the reason why is because that's 120 hour. If Is that the right number? I, think I don't think. I think it's 24 hours. For Tadalafil, it's, one of them has a much longer half-life. You can tell me what it is. I don't have it memorized. But the point is, when you take the medication every day mm -hmm. and it's not breaking down out of your body with the fastest speed, then the medication starts to build up over time. Mm -hmm. And you have a higher steady level of the drug in your bloodstream. So if you're taking medication on top of medication, you run the risk of having too high of a dose yep. and then having side effects, whether that's nasal congestion, facial flushing, or passing out. Mm. It can be any and or all of the above. Don't people take Tadalafil for almost preventative reasons as well, too? I've heard of that. I know people who will say they take it as like a pre-workout or they feel like mm -hmm, or they feel like it makes their ADHD better oh, or it gives them less brain fog. <clears throat> but I haven't actually seen nice data that allows me as a doctor to say, yeah, I recommend doing that. Um, I haven't haven't seen it in practice. I recently saw a company advertising sildenafil plus verdenafil for improved brain functioning because they said it increased the total amount of blood getting brain to your brain. Brain or brain. Brain. Or the, brain. Uh, we, know where the, <laughs> right, the, we know where the brilliance is now. We've established. The 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 less intelligent brain. Brain or brain. Yeah. <laughs> the less brain brain. Again, I haven't that's gotta be an off label use. And I think mm -hmm. you have to be really careful about how you market things. Yep. Right? Because if they're marketing it as such and the evidence isn't there, that's a really tricky ground to walk on. Yep. All right. So the, there are three pills. Kind of talked about them. What else is there? Well, we have testosterone, which we talked about, which yep. is more of a root cause. Right? Mm -hmm. And then I, I think it's also relevant to talk about the treatments for the psychological yep. ED. Because if you, there, I have had patients who even the medication is not enough to overcome. And maybe it's because you have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you had had a... Like an, like an assault or a trauma or some sort of physical situation in your life that has resulted in some sort of a, a mental or emotional response. Hmm. It's important that you have the right treatment for the cause. So therapy, PTSD treatments, sometimes EMDR, which is like an eye movement desensitization therapy, which can help you process trauma if there's a part of it, or going through treatment for depression, going through treatment for anxiety can actually really help with erectile dysfunction if the pills don't. There's also injections. Hold on a quick yeah. sec. So pills first and then try solving emotional trauma or are we going for root cause and fixing that? I like both at the same time because mm -hmm. if you can identify, it's the same thing with taking antidepressants. If you can identify that I know this is psychological, I know something has happened to me which has resulted in this problem psychologically for me, then I recommend doing both. Get yourself in therapy and also use the medication so mm -hmm. that you can try to get some help. But you will never get better if you don't address the root cause as well. I, so I want to actually make sure I understand this, right? Because tons yeah. of guys think that therapy is like, it's almost like the the flag of death. No. Talking about your feelings and emotions, like that's just for really weak men. And no. I mean, what's your, th tell me about that. I wish I had a panel of women right here because therapy's sexy. Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? I would imagine that, especially if it's causing problems in the relationship and you know that it's something that needs to be working on, I would say going to therapy is sexy. Like, baby, I know this is a problem. And I'm going to go talk to somebody about this because I want to heal and I want to get better and I want to have the erection of my dreams and rock your world. I, I mean, what partner's not going to be like, let me drive you to therapy and take you out for ice cream afterwards? Like, 
But you got to do it. You got to do it. It, yeah. It's not shameful. It's actually just as honorable as seeking health care for your penis. It is just as honorable to seek health care for your mental health because you're working on being your best self. You know, I tell people this all the time, right? I have a therapist. I've got an executive coach. Yes. I've got a dietitian. I've got a trainer. And frankly, if you said I could only keep one of those things, I'm keeping the therapist all day long because- 100%. Just being able to talk about what's going on in your life and have a objective third party listen to it and be like, hey, listen, Saad, you might be being a little bit narcissistic in this particular case. Yeah. It's not all about you. Think about all these other people. And it just teaches you to be so much more empathetic in the process. And it teaches you also how to be better with other people, right? And so I guess if a guy is, because let's be realistic, right? A lot of this can be solved with medications, but a lot of it can be solved with therapy. Yes. How do you even get started in something like that? Well, I think it's important to find someone who is just like a relationship, is a good fit for you, mm -hmm. who has experience with what you need help with, mm -hmm. and also that you feel safe with. It's okay if you have to fire five therapists before you find the one that is right for you. It's worth it because it's a therapeutic relationship and you need them to help you. You're paying them to help you. So even if you have to shop around, do it. And then you said there's some other treatments, shots. Oh, right. So you can give injections, right? There are certain types of injections that people can give themselves. Mm -hmm. We talked about penis pumps, right? Which yep. is an external sort of a vacuum device that pulls blood. And I think that's the one thing that I think if anything makes it actual bigger, it's that because you're kind of exaggerating the engorgement. Um, sounds painful though. Like what is that even Nobody's like? ever told me that it's painful. I've never heard that it's painful, no. What's the process like having that done? Well, so it almost looks like a little vacuum chamber. So mm -hmm. they're like a cylinder and there's a seal. Well, and you, can you choose the size of the cylinder? Is this like- I a, don't think so. Okay. I, think, <laughs> I think they're universally sized. That's a good question. I think they're universally. I was wondering, are they like, are they like implants or is this the kind of thing where you're like, I want the extra large? No. I want the Cadillac. <laughs> so there's external ones that you can kind of place over it like a, like a cone of- growth, if you will, a cylinder of growth. And then it creates a vacuum inside of it, which draws blood, basically it creates a vacuum. So the blood goes towards the negative space mm -hmm. and then fills up the penis and creates an erection. Sometimes they'll have you put a band, like a ring or a band to keep the blood there, mm -hmm. um, but it's not always required. And then the pumps are internal. So you can actually have implanted um, devices inside of the shaft of the penis, which you can inflate and deflate which, and that's for people who have really severe, I mean, non-responsive to everything, usually like neurologic, mm -hmm. if they've had damage due to radiation or surgery or car accidents, blast injuries, we see that in soldiers, then that's the one that's surgically implanted that you kind of inflate and deflate. Uh, what do you still, do they, do they say they still have sensation? It depends. Mm-hmm. So it sometimes it could really be just to make sure you can satisfy your partner. Mm -hmm. Other times, if you're lucky enough, there is sensation. Because yeah. because there's different nerves, right? There's different nerves that deal with sensation as they do with function. But it also depends on the type of injury and the extent of the injury, whether your sensation is preserved or not. Okay. Yeah. And then what about gains wave? I've been hearing a lot of people talk about... Shockwave. Yep. Shockwave therapy. So I actually know a fair amount about that. And you have P-Shot as well. Mm -hmm. So there are injections that you can receive. I know, I know, I see you getting a little like, oh, injections, right. So there's injections that you can receive that are designed to help repair and remodel damage to the penis. So that's really for not the psychological, not the psychogenic ED, um, and not the post-surgical ED, not that. But people who have high blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol problems, smoking, mm -hmm. where there's damage to the penis and that's why it doesn't work properly, the P-shot, which is an injection or series of injections, and the shock wave, which causes micro trauma to the tissue and then mm -hmm. allows the body to come in and create angiogenesis, repair, restore, you know, grow, grow new blood vessels um, and remodel itself from the inside. A lot of people do actually get benefit from that. 
It can be expensive though. It sounds really fun. I mean, <laughs> it sounds painful, but like the fact you're telling me I could remodel my penis as I get older, and it sounds very much natural in terms of how my body's gonna repair it. Is it, is it, let me say, what's the efficacy rate? I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but I've been affiliated with a couple of clinics that have done that in the brick and mortar side. And I would say it depends on lifestyle changes are also a factor mm. too, though. Like you still need to be willing to stop smoking and get your blood sugar under control and get your blood pressure down in conjunction with repairing the penis. So it kind of depends on the human input as well. You gotta go. You know, we did an AMA with our community, right? Had all these random questions. It was arguably probably the most engaged guys have been because they haven't been able to ask a lot of these questions. And so it may feel like I'm just kind of shooting them off, but I think that you are changing the world one penis at a time. That's right. Can men get yeast infections in their penis? Of course they can. Oof. Yeast doesn't care where your skin is. Yeast loves living on skin. It loves living in warm, moist environments. Mm -hmm. So you can get it, like women can get it under their breasts. People can get it in their groin. People can get it in their feet. But you can also get yeast or fungal infections kind of anywhere on your body, right? And your penis is skin externally. So sometimes it can be like a balanitis, which is like an inflammation of the skin around the glands. And especially if you have a foreskin still, you can get a lot of yeast in there as well, but it's treatable. You can do topical antifungal, you can do oral antifungal. If it's in conjunction with a partner who also has a yeast infection, which is not always the case, mm -hmm. then the partner should be treated too. And also it's worth saying, just because your partner, especially female partner has a yeast infection, does not mean you need to be treated. A lot of men ask that, my girl's got a yeast infection, give me some fluconazole. And it's un it's uncommon, but canon does happen and you don't need to be treated just because she is. Lots of implications there. Uh, yeah. Lots of implications, what you can and can't do. Another question we get. Should you be having sex with your partner when they're on their period and can that cause problems for your penis? But I guess like, right, like as a guy, you want to be sexual with your wife probably, I don't know, 14 times a week, uh, some large number. That's twice a day, ladies. Uh, and well, I, I can tell you this, guys definitely probably think about it far more than that. But the reality is, We've got to be smart about how we introduce the topic. And by the way, life gets difficult. You've got kids running around. You've got work deadlines all the time. What's the best way that you can kind of, I would say, create the right situation for that to happen more often than not? My advice is to stop thinking about yourself so much. Oh. My advice is to stop thinking about yourself so much and shift because, so this is really interesting. The little known fact is that when women get together, I don't wanna say 100% of the time because occasionally we talk about other things, but 99.99 infinity percent of the time we're talking about sex. No. Yes. No. Where's, where's my girlfriends at right now? Where's my girlfriends no. at right now? I think that's- The uh, next time we do this, I'm gonna have a panel of, of my girlfriends right here mm -hmm. and they're gonna be clapping and cheering. And you know what we talk about? The guys and what they're doing or what they're not doing. Go to a brunch sometime, slowly walk past, like go to a brunch restaurant and slowly walk past the table of all women and see if you can listen to what they're talking about. And then text me and tell me, oh my gosh, Purdy, you were right. Because I know this is the way that it works. Women want to be sexual hmm. in the confines of a healthy, safe relationship where they have their pleasure prioritized. Your pleasure, I'm sorry, is not really the primary focus of the thing because penises are easy. They have one job. They have one orgasm. They have one function. They are like a light switch. Yep, that's true. Vaginas are like a light rave with colors and sounds and pulsations and a million different ways to make a vagina function but penises are easy. And so I'm 100, I don't wanna say, I can't, I can't give 100%, right? But I am overwhelmingly more confident than not that if you prioritize her pleasure, 
in whatever way that means for her, for her. But hold on a second. Then <laughs> she's, it's a reward system. How do you, how do you do that? Like, do you send her a text that says, hey, I'm going to take care of you tonight? Is that 100%. what percent Yeah. She needs to have exponentially more orgasms than you. Let me get my phone out. Okay. Exponentially more orgasms than you. And if she's not, I would say, I wish my girlfriends were here. Okay, ladies, I'm going to say like a eight to one ratio. <laughs> five to eight, five to eight. You know what? I'm thinking of my one girlfriend who says like two to three is oh, enough okay. for me. So let's say three to eight more times, times more orgasms than you. She needs to live a sex life of pleasure mm -hmm. and she will be glad to do it 14 times a week. You will have trouble keeping up with her. You will need more refills on your medication if what you are more concerned about is her experience of pleasure hmm. in whatever way that means to her. That's the secret. That's 70 orgasms a week. That's what I'm thinking of, five to one. Like, hey. But, th but think about it, right? And you don't have to get, and what you will find is that if you, if you unlock the key to her pleasure, and you make sure that she is abundantly satisfied, mm -hmm. which the only way to find out is to ask her. Well, that's uncomfortable too. It's not. Only if you make it uncomfortable. What do you say? Like, what do you want? What makes you happy? What am I doing wrong? I would I mean, say scale of one to 10, how happy are you with the amount of pleasure you receive in our relationship right now? Okay. Judgment free. Let her tell you and don't be offended. Don't be offended. Ooh, that's hard for Don't us. be offended because it's not offensive. If you've never asked the question, then how can you expect to be doing it right? That's a, that's a scary question you've to ask. You've never, but, but you can't take it personal. If she's not 100% satisfied, then I guarantee you she wants to be asked. Wouldn't you want to be asked? Like, how would you feel well, if she came up to you and said, how satisfied are you? She's not going to do that. Because it's not about you. It's about her. It's about her. So I'll, I will say we make it a big point to have the conversation. Yeah. And the first conversation always feels awkward. And then once you realize is that it becomes just a normal part of your day and you realize you shouldn't be attaching your emotions to the outcome as much as you should oh. be thinking about just like when you play a sport, like I can't hit this jump shot, right? What do I have to do? I need to spread my fingers a little bit more. I need to actually make sure that I'm following through with my elbow. Some guys have what they call a micropenis. Mm -hmm. what, what exactly is a micropenis and does it really impact sex and fertility? It depends. So a micropenis by definition is a penis that when erect is three inches or shorter. Does it impact fertility? Not necessarily, right? Because in general, the rest of it, so as long as there is not a genetic issue. So if you have a micropenis, the first thing you want to do is see your doctor because there can be some chromosomal abnormalities mm -hmm. or some other genetic conditions that you're born with that the micropenis can be a sign of. And you might need to have treatments or take hormones, or you could be at risk for other health conditions mm -hmm. that maybe you wouldn't if you didn't have that syndrome. It can be a sign of a syndrome. But if you get checked out and everything is fine and you just have a smaller than average penis, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to negatively impact your sex life and it doesn't have to necessarily negatively impact your fertility. But I'm glad you segued here. You need to make sure that you find a relationship that is emotionally safe for you, mm. where that person is going to say, look, I love you. I am not in love with you just because of the size of your penis. I'm in love with you and also your penis, whatever size it is. And together you can work to find out how to have a healthy, mutually satisfying sexual relationship. That's why you're the doctor, because you just brought that full circle and said, let me show you how to create a safe place. If you had a three-inch penis, you would want your partner to love and accept you and not judge you for it. And this is what I'm asking you to do for your for the your partner who has a vagina. Vaginas are different. 
I actually want you to celebrate it. I want you to put it on a t-shirt, frankly. Yeah. I want yes. you to be so excited every morning you wake up because frankly, that's gonna make me feel good about myself. And that's what a safe place is. Yes. Okay. But, but to go back to the other thing, right? Think about it. We just talked about hormones. Oxytocin, prolactin. I'm gonna give you the cheat code. Mm -hmm. The more orgasms you give her, that's a hormonal feedback loop, right? And those are the bonding hormones. Those are the arousal hormones. And ladies, gentlemen, you can become conditioned to want to have more sex by having that positive feedback loop of abundance of orgasms. That's how your body works. So if you want her to want to have more sex, then equate more sex with more orgasms, with more bonding, with more desire, with more connection, with more safe space. And there That's you go. It. That's it. That's the key to life. She won't be able, if life is orgasms, then yes, that's the key to life. Boom. All right. So now I do have another question though. People always ask, is a clitoris more sensitive than a head of a penis? Because we're taught some really interesting things, right? Technically, your penis and clitoris, when you are in utero, it's the same thing. What happens as you grow up? Well, we call that differentiation, right? Mm -hmm. So the structure, that's why you can't really tell from looking at an ultrasound of a fetus until about the 15th, 16th, 17th week. Mm -hmm. You call that sexual differentiation. And there are analogous structures, which what it means is one structure is similar in function, but not necessarily in form, mm -hmm. like the clitoris and the head of the penis. And the clitoris actually has two bodies. I wish we had a picture, but you have the head of the clitoris, which is the we thing can, you can see. We can put see. a picture on yeah. this. Yeah, and then there's two like legs or the body. There's other pieces of the clitoris on the inside that is analogous to the the two sides of the shaft on the inside of the penis. Oh, no way. Yeah. So it's not just what sticks out. And Sorry. it is erectile tissue, just like a penis is. It is very sensitive on the, the head of the clitoris, just like the glands of the penis is. I don't think it's a fair question though to say which is more sensitive because how could we ever know? Mm -hmm. We could never, I, I mean, I, like I said, I know which one I would prefer to have. And the fact of the matter is clitorises can have more sequential orgasms than penises can. So perhaps it is safe to say that maybe does that equate to scientifically more sensitivity? I don't know, it probably has more to do with the nervous system, like what we were talking about and the response cycle, being able to not have a refractory period, mm -hmm. which is what you call it like in a guy, when you have an ejaculation, then usually your erection goes away and it takes a little bit of time yep. for you to have an erection and another ejaculation that's called a refractory period. People with clitorises tend not to have that as much. So you, you might could argue that one is more sensitive than the other, but it's hard to know because not many people have both. I mean, it just sounds like an anatomical <laughs> gift, if I'm being honest. I do <laughs> say thank you often. Thank you. Uh, and also, you're welcome. I mean, right? Well, it's a I, gift for the partner, too, I was because say you it is, can right? pleasure your partner. Five times to one. God bless. Three to eight times to one. We'll Three to eight times okay, to one. Let's get the God standard bless. deviations in there. All right. And hold on. That actually just set the bar. But when is, I sex, think, I think, when is I think, sex over? What is the answer to that question? When is sex over? I think sex is normally over after the guy finishes and his refractory period kicks in. He does the rollover. Where's my panel of ladies? Ladies, mm -hmm. when is sex over? When the woman is when ready. When she says it's over. Oh. Okay. That's the answer. It's not about you. Because it will ultimately be about you. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Like that sounds like some woo woo. It's ultimately going to be about. It's me? not about you. It's more about giving than receiving. Because if you focus on giving, and this works for both sides, mm -hmm. this works for both sides. Like we're we're joking a little bit, and I don't I don't mean to sound hateful towards those with penises or you know projecting a sense of entitlement on people with vaginas. But the hard fact is heterosexual women have the least amount of orgasms than any other demographic in society. So while you can go three to eight more. They're not. Okay. So that's why I say shift the focus 
Part of the problem is that the focus has been, we are a paternalistic society. We have been a penis-centric society since the origin of this society. I mean, that's... And I challenge you to stop thinking about your penis so much and think about how to close the orgasm gap is what a lot of people will say. Be a part of the solution and see if that doesn't then in return allow you to benefit more because your partner is more satisfied. All right. So listen, in addition to there being a national Dr. Laura Purdy yeah. holiday, <laughs> there's going to be a let's close the orgasm gap. Close month. it. Because hold on, it's better for both people? Yes, it is. Better for both people. Yes, it is. I would love, you know what? I would love to have a panel of, of men. I would love to have a panel of men who fall into that. She's having three to eight more times orgasms than you. And I would love to hear them talk about how much better, I'm putting words in their non-existent mouths, how much better their sex lives are and how they're having more sex than they ever have in their lives. Maybe even more than 14 times a week, I would bet you. Um, because that's what they're doing is focusing on their partner's pleasure, giving. Well, I guess here's the thing, right? I think guys, a lot of this to your point is so deeply steeped in culture because we are a very paternalistic society that probably has some element of machismo in it, right? Yeah. And so there is a More lot than of- some element. Okay. It's a massive element. Okay. Let's call it like it is, right? We're here to talk about it. It's almost like you have to break away from some of your old beliefs and move towards a new set of ones. And that frankly takes time. But then let's say we can do that. Let's say we're 100% there and we're saying to ourselves, like, look, three to eight, that's what we're going for. How the hell do you even last longer in bed? You will. <laughs> that sounds like a Miss Cleo answer. You would think. You would think. So, good question. How do you last longer in bed? Number one, if you are having sex more often, then you will last longer in bed. Hmm. Right? Because you talk about refractory periods, and you talk about it takes longer to get aroused, and it takes longer to ejaculate. Mm -hmm. So, if you're having sex more often, more likely than not, you will last longer. But second of all, if you're not focusing on your own orgasm and instead you're focusing on giving to your partner, then the finish line is not you ejaculating and you can relax and you can slow down and you can provide oral sex. You can take a break. You can do something different. And I think a lot of people that I've talked to, they find that if the, sh if the focus shifts from I am going to insert and remove my penis rapidly over and over again until I ejaculate because that's the end point of this encounter. And they focus more on the connection hmm. and the experience and the pleasure, then it does take longer. Or you can take medication, right? Like, the, you know, some people they take Viagra because it allow, it actually can slow down premature ejaculation. Some people take Zoloft because it can make them last a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. But within the experience, simply being more present and not paying so much attention to what your penis is doing. That's the battle. focusing on her or your partner, whomever they are, but again, her, focusing on her, it will take longer because you're gonna have to perform oral sex for probably, what's the average amount of time? It's like 15 minutes or something for a woman to have an orgasm from oral sex. And that's if she's completely uninhibited hmm. and feels completely comfortable and doesn't feel like she's gross, doesn't feel like she's hurting you, doesn't feel like she's inconveniencing you. So if you take all that mental garbage out. It's 15 minutes. I think it's, yeah, look, we had to look it up after this, but it's a lot longer than a penis. So the, 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 the takeaway is if you spend more time running the bases 100%. rather than just s swinging for the fence. Sliding into home. Sliding into home. <laughs> this thing. <laughs> I'm not an athlete, but I think I get the reference. It'll work out better for you in the long run. Yes. Okay. So yes. another, another question though, right? A lot of guys, they like masturbating. Sure. Right? Um, do you think, and, and there's kind a lot of, like of girls this, do too, by the way, God bless. 
there's like this, it's kind of like when you go to the gym and you work out and you're kind of get under a bench, the more you bench, the bigger your chest gets. Is it the more you masturbate, the better you are at maintaining an erection or having a stronger libido? Well, gentlemen, I'm sorry to report that you don't have muscles in your penis. Mm. It's just, well, it's, it's, it's just a big brain. It's just, a it's big your brain. brilliant brain, <laughs> but, but it doesn't quite work like that. Okay. Now I do agree with you, you know, with kind of like a use it or lose it mentality. It is a body part that needs to be utilized and it has a function that it needs to be allowed to perform. Mm -hmm. Of course, their blood vessels, they expand, they contract. It's erectile tissue. You need to be using it. I don't. And again, can there be use cases where if you um, have had nerve damage or if you have had something that has happened that has caused you to malfunction or if you have severe psychogenic ED that you can't even have an erection from masturbating, can it be therapeutic? Absolutely. Does it have to be harmful to a relationship? No, it doesn't. But I, I don't. Can it be harmful? It could but it could also be helpful. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important if you are in a relationship to be having those conversations. Don't be weird about it. It's a body part that has a bodily function. And if you want to have a sex life, then I would encourage you not to exclude your partner from any part of it. Now, I know there are movements about like sexual privacy and mm -hmm. I get that. Everyone is entitled to privacy, but I do feel like partners are also entitled to open communication. And if it's something that your partner's worried about, or if it's something that you're worried about, or if it's something that you're thinking about, have the conversation and be willing not to judge. What's your take on, and I'm giving, I feel like I'm saying a lot of things that are in guys' minds, right? Let's say Let's do it. you want to go 14 times a week. Yeah. You've tried creating a safe place, but honestly, something horrible happened for your partner or their mind is in a different place. And you kind of say, hey, look, I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. But what that really is code for is no. I'm going to spend some time helping myself. Yeah. Do you tell your partner that? I mean, again, so first of all, I would say don't ever withhold love or punish your partner for something that they are dealing with. Because mm. think about how you would wanna be treated. If you had ED and you could not get an erection, would you want your partner to say, I'm sleeping on the couch tonight and to go masturbate without you? No, you wouldn't. You would not want that to be done to you. But I would bet you that you would want your partner to have a conversation and to say, I get it, but you know what? Our sex relate, our sex life is not just your ability to have an erection. Our sex life is just not a number. It's not the 14 times. Are you satisfied? Are we okay? Is there, make sure that there's nothing there that needs to be resolved. For example, I know that my body will not respond if I've got some sort of emotional thing going on. I cannot override that. I cannot. And so to have that conversation to say, here's what I'm feeling, here's what I'm thinking. And for you to say, I'm not saying it has to be 14 times a week, but I feel more satisfied and I feel more connected to you. That's the buzzword. I feel more connected to you if we are doing this more days than not. But I wanna make sure that you feel as connected to me as I want to feel connected to you. It's so it's interesting because right it's about like a connection. There's <laughs> there's there's an element of taking what Dr. Purdy says, writing it down, and then saying it and then meaning it. Yeah. Right? You gotta mean it. And the and the cheat code isn't just say these things, guys, and life oh. will work out a lot better. It's you have to actually go deep inside yes. and think from both an intellectual and emotional level, what these things means for your partner, right? Because everyone's yes. partner is very different. Partner is different. And you have to know how to be realistic and sincere when you're approaching these conversations. But I promise you they want to be connected to. They wouldn't be in a relationship if they didn't want to be connected to. But let me also bring it back to this. Let's say you had that conversation, I want to be connected to you, baby. But she says, look, I'm just not feeling it tonight. Is it, is the next thing to say, 
because <laughs> I can see how my fiance would say, you're trying to, you're trying to CEO me right now. You're trying to like use logic on me. Well, listen, baby, I want to feel connected to you, but since you can't, then I got to feel connected to something. Right? I, I, th this is okay. This is how I would approach that. And honestly, you can be honest, mm -hmm. right? So if you're listening to this show, you can say, I was talking to a doctor today and I heard a few things that made me really look inside myself and think that I kind of want to at least find out if we should be doing some of this. Mm -hmm. Here's the things I've heard. And again, don't make it about you. Here's the things I've heard. What do you think? Hmm. Can, we, can we use any of this advice? Watch this with me. Listen to what she's saying. Does any of that apply to us? Do you think? Instead of coming in and mansplaining your sex life to her, <laughs> let her tell you. Mm -hmm. Let her tell you and don't put her in a defensive position, right? Say, I really want to know, does any of that apply? If I sincerely did that or said that, would that help? Would that move us in a, in a direction? Because I want to be satisfied, but I want you to be satisfied. And if there's anything I can do to resolve that, what do you think? Is that relevant to us? That's a hell of a script because yeah. I think as guys, stop making it about you all the time. Well, the, the thing there's, there's more than that, right? It's like, you almost don't know how to, how to have the conversation yeah. because it forces you to use a part of your brain that you don't generally access, right? Cause in life we are very much drive, fix, mansplain. Yes. And you're basically saying like, you have to literally say, it is not about you. This is about understanding yes. what your partner really wants. And frankly, a lot of us as guys just haven't run our life that way. Our relationship's yeah. not like that. And so it is a complete shift of your mindset. Um, and it's okay to say, I want to have a conversation with you that I don't really know how to have. Hold on. That's actually the key. That's okay to say. Yep. It's humble. You're being humble. You're being vulnerable. But doesn't it make you look weak? Where's my panel of ladies? <laughs> no. What makes you look weak, it, it makes you look brave. Mm -hmm. What makes you look weak is defense mechanisms, avoiding, pretending like issues aren't issues. Avoiding is a big one, though. Refusing to talk about the problem, refusing to listen to what she has to say, because you're devaluing her, you're minimizing her, you're dominating her, and not in the fun time way. Um, and you, you know, no, it's actually very brave to say, "Here I am. I'm exposing my heart to you, my partner, whom I trust, who I share a sex life with. I want to talk about legitimately how we make it better together." But I don't know how to have that conversation with you. Will you help me have that conversation with you? You know, the best part about this whole conversation is that it probably sounds a little scary for other guys. Yeah. But the reality is you're actually giving us the cheat code for, if I'm being honest. I'm telling you. Almost getting what you want. Yes. Right. To a certain degree. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a shift for a lot of guys, mm -hmm. but here's the other thing. I think a lot of guys are now starting to do this, they should. right? Which is let's have the conversation together per se. You both want the same thing. Mm -hmm. You say you get what you want. You will both get what you want. You both want the same thing. I promise you, unless there's one of those extraneous factors, you want a happy, healthy, mutually satisfying pleasurable sex life and whether that means viagra or whether that means three to eight times as many orgasms whatever it means you both want the same thing i promise you walk past the brunch tables and listen I, i'm literally going to do it every single like it's going to be a thing now <laughs> my fiance where are you i'm just i'm just at brunch i'm just listening <laughs> to the ladies at brunch what? all right weird last question so we can kind of end on like maybe maybe a lighter note yeah What's your take on prostate milking? <laughs> <laughs> prostate milking. 
So prostate milking is is basically massaging the prostate in order, so you say milking, right? In order to get some prostate fluid to come out. Now, in the sexual context, prostate massage can be something that can contribute to stronger orgasms and it can feel pleasurable. Um, in the clinical setting, that's how we produce a little bit of prostate fluid if we need to culture it and see if you have prostatitis or an infection, although oftentimes simply touching an infected prostate is, you, you'll, you'll, you'll know. know. You'll, I mean, there's no question, <laughs> really. But, but in the sexual context, it, can, it is an option for an activity that you can do or try with your partner that can be pleasurable. You can access the prostate from inside of the rectum, or you can actually sometimes, depending on the body of the person, you can access it through the perineum, which is the area between you know the base of the scrotum and the rectum. You can put a little pressure in there and sometimes access it from there, but it kind of depends on the guy. And a lot of guys like it. And we're going to end on, well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to end, we're going to try it. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it actually, In a safe relationship. Well, here's the thing. All the advice you've given us is from the perspective of a woman, but I've got to imagine your relationship advice is universal. Meaning yes. whether you are not a, whether you have a partner rather than a wife. Correct. It's the same exact thing. Doesn't matter. People want to be connected to. That's why we seek out relationships, is, is connection. And everybody wants to feel safe. Everybody wants to feel pleasure. I mean, I get it. Again, disclaimer, sure, there's some people that don't wanna feel safe and don't wanna have pleasure. But the overwhelming majority of people, they want to feel safe. They want to feel like their partner's being honest and open and vulnerable. And they want to have that satisfying relationship. And every woman mm-hmm. is gonna to wanna to have three to eight times more orgasms than their partner. But but you're right. These are these are universal suggestions on healthy interpersonal dynamic. Okay, so we are going to end it this way. You got one piece of advice for guys. One, and it, it's not, hey, it's about her. Because honestly, we know that. <laughs> we know that now. Yeah. What's the one piece of advice for guys that are having problems? feeling or maybe even realizing the full extent of their sexuality? Whatever it is, there is no shame. That is your sexuality and there is no shame. If you need help, there's no shame in asking for it. If you want to try something or do something, there's no shame in asking for it because it's your sexuality, it's your body, it's your heart, it's your mind, it's your desires, and it's okay for you to own that and do what you need to do to feel good about it. Boom, that is so beautiful. Um, And listen, Dr. Laura Purdy, we love you. I can tell you right, I can tell you right now. (laughs) I love you guys, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. You were, this was magnificent. We really, really appreciate you. And I think you did such a great job of taking what's really a difficult topic for guys and adding education, fun, and also, I would say, sincerity to it. So we thank you as men. Thank you. (laughs) And also making us feel great about how brilliant we are. You're brilliant. (laughs) Orgasm. What did we say? Um, Erection of your dreams. That was fun. Thank you for having me. And let's talk again sometime. I mean, I feel like this is just the beginning and there is so much more to say and there's so much more that that needs to be said and that is wanted to be said. And um, let's talk again. Let's do it. Hey guys, thanks for listening into this episode of Hone In. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe. And hey, if you have a minute, drop a comment below with your biggest learning, your insights, your takeaways from this conversation. I would personally love to hear from you. Tune in each week for more answers to questions, solutions to problems, and tangible advice that you can apply to your life to live smarter, stronger, and longer. One more thing before you guys leave. This is important. The Honan Podcast is intended as general information. Our purpose is to educate, inspire, and support you as you live a healthier, longer life. The use of information on this podcast is not, and I repeat, not, intended as a substitute for the advice of a physician, medical, or mental health professional. 
and it should not serve as diagnosis or treatment. If you are suffering from a psychological or a mental health condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. Thank you so much for listening to us.